All right. Hey, good morning. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here at Beach Point. And you have joined us on week four of a series we're doing called The Story. And what we are doing uh, together is we are, are studying uh, the story, the big story of God through uh, 31 smaller stories. So we're looking at uh, each week one of the kind of smaller puzzle pieces. But our goal is to see how each of these pieces comes together and creates the big God story. And so Every week, we're hoping that three things happen. One, you learn a little bit more about a a chunk of the story. Uh, But then uh, second, that you would see how these lower stories are tied into the big God story. And every week, you're getting more and more familiar with God's big story. So as you study scripture more and more, you'll start to understand how every little piece is tied into this big God story. Uh, But very important is that we want to make sure that you also recognize the unique way in which your story is tied into God's story. So we want you listening today uh, for God's spirit to speak to you and and, uh, through the the passage. We have to move quick every week. Like this week, we have 17 chapters that we're going to try to cover in about 30 minutes. So it's a lot of big brush strokes. So we're using this resource called The Story, which is not a Bible, but it is uh, scriptures, uh, an abridged version of scripture uh, put together in chronological order. And so we we get a chance to kind of see and understand this uh, moving along together. And this is so valuable, I think, for us, uh, because I think what you're going to see is through this time, if you're reading along with us, if you're talking about it with others, um, you're going to find that your understanding of God's story uh, really grows. Uh, there was a world uh, before Jimmy Fallon. I don't know if you know this, Caleb. There was, a, there was a comedian before Jimmy Fallon. His name was Jay Leno. And he used to do The Tonight Show. And he had a gag that he called jaywalking. I don't know if some of you remember it, but he, he'd do the kind of his uh, man on the street questions. And one of the times he, he did, uh, he asked Bible questions. And it was a fascinating kind of moment because in this moment, we started to see kind of the shift in our culture because he was asking all these questions, you know, do you know who uh, 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 was in charge of the ark? And, the, and people would give their answers and they would be kind of silly, ridiculous answers, but the audience didn't know if the answers were true or not. And so they didn't laugh because they didn't know that the answers were. And so we started to see in some ways that we have kind of shifted some ways in our culture. We, we don't quite know the big God story from scripture. We don't know a lot of the stories and how they fit into it. And so our hope is if you get cornered on the street by Jay Leno, you will be able to correctly answer all his questions. That is our goal in our story today. So today what we're going to see is uh, the unique way in God's story, how he comes along to rescue his people that he's created for himself. And all of us need to be rescued. Uh, just a, a couple weeks ago, we were uh, in the backyard of, of my house. We have a, a small pool and it's got like kind of a uh, a reef shelf. It's kind of great for little kids. And I, I said I would watch uh, uh, this uh, little five-year-old kid who was there and he had this ring around him. And so he's floating, having a great time. And then I, I watched, and I didn't prepare for this very well because I was still fully dressed from church. And uh, I watched him take the ring off and I watched him kind of venture to the edge of the step. And then I watched him step off the step and his little hummingbird arms were going as fast as they can. And he, he was just doing this. He got to about right here. Now I'm looking at him like, do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need? I took my phone out of my pocket, put it on the thing, picked him up, and he's just kind of shaking. He was fine. I didn't like totally torture him. But, uh, uh, but in that moment, like, I, I grabbed him. And, now why do you jump in? Of course, you jump in. You jump in for anyone that you love. You rescue anyone you love. Uh, 
Uh, that's how we respond and that's how we're going to see God responds. But many of you feel like that little five-year-old. You are going blip, 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 blip. You're up and your little hummingbird arms are going as fast as they can with your finances. And you're, you're, you're asking God, you better come quick because I don't have much. I, I'm here. Uh, your marriage, your relationships, uh, some crisis that you're in. And you can feel your arms going as fast as you can but you know you need rescue. And this morning, I, I want you to just think about the unique way in which you need rescue right now. And we're going to see, here's a big idea that we're going to talk about today. It's so important to today's story, but I think it's what you will see is it is incredibly important to the story of God and to our lives. Here's our big idea today is that God rescues his people over and over again. And it probably, we just didn't have enough toner to probably appropriately write what this big idea is, which is God rescues his people over and over and over and over and, and you get it. You might want to just write et cetera there on the end because you know this, that rescue, if you've, if you've had any kind of relationship with God, that it has not just been a moment of rescue, but it is a lifetime of needing his provision and his help and his, his rescue and his deliverance uh, from things in your life. And so there's this way in which he comes and he rescues us and he keeps rescuing us a lot of times from ourselves and our past and our sin and our habits and the stuff we get ourselves into. And so this is an important thing that we want to see today. And so where we're joining the story at, uh, we, we are in week four. So what we saw is God creates a world. He creates us. We're his prized part of his creation. He creates us to be in relationship with him. And right away, we screw up that relationship. And week one, we saw right away, we need to be rescued. And we start seeing this rescue plan. Week two, that he creates a people he takes this elderly and fertile couple and through the most unlikely ways, he, he begins this movement of, of making a people for himself, a people of faith who will trust him, who will serve him, who will tell his story in the world. And through this family, he's going to bless all the world. And as we saw last week in week three, that already just three generations in uh, through the, the life of this man, Joseph, who's the, the, the uh, great grandson of Abraham, He's the son of Jacob, or whose name becomes Israel. He's one of the sons of Israel. That through uh, this man, uh, Joseph, and through this amazing set of circumstances, God delivers and blesses his people and all the world. Already within three generations, all the world has been blessed and will continue to be blessed by these people. And so where we left off last week, we saw that uh, Joseph had brought his family in. He had put them in this uh, great place in Egypt, a place where they could thrive. And uh, through that time, so here's what you got to know. Between last week and today, 400 years have passed. Okay, 400 years have passed and they have multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And so we're, where we're going to pick up is Exodus chapter 1. Okay, so if you want to turn in a Bible to Exodus chapter 1, or if you want to follow along in the story, it'll be page uh, 43, I think, is in the story. Exodus chapter 1, or in the story, and we'll put them up here on the screens to help you kind of follow along in both places. 
And like I said, I've been using this. I've just been writing all my notes inside here just to kind of, so that someday I can kind of reread this, retract, kind of see the things that God was showing me along the way. And I encourage you to do the same. But here's where we pick up. So we read this in verse six of Exodus chapter one, that Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation had died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers. And they became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Okay, so we stop right there for a second. So we see 400 years has gone by. They've multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. God has placed them in this, really the safe place under the protection of Egypt. They've grown. They, they have been protected. But now here comes this new Pharaoh. He has no respect for God, no respect for God's people, no respect for Joseph and this history. And instead, what he sees is threat. And out of fear, he, he, he's thinking to himself, I hope these people can't do math. Because he's counting all of them, and he's counting his people, and he realizes there's tension here. If, if they decide to come against us, or they decide to align with any of the other nations, we are in trouble. And so he does this dramatic movement. He moves them. He, he puts them into slavery to, to them. And as bad as that is, it gets even worse. In fact, we read on verse 22 of chapter 1 that Pharaoh gave this order to the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, uh, born to you must throw into the Nile and let every girl live. So not just slavery and oppression, but now genocide. All the baby boys are ordered to be thrown into the river. And this is where we meet uh, the next kind of kind of key person God is going to uh, tell his story through a man named Moses. Now Moses' parents decided that they were not going to do this and they we see this kind of creative way in which they take him, they put him in this uh, little uh, uh, boat uh, that they've put together. They kind of set it aside in the reeds where they know the Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe and stuff and she finds him and like a little kid goes home to dad. Dad, can we keep him? Can we keep him? Can we keep him? She takes Moses in. She raises him, uh, they raise him up. And this is kind of fascinating when you begin to think about this. Here, here is Moses, this, this Hebrew, and he's going to grow up in Pharaoh's court. And for the next 40 years, he will have the best educators, the best mentors, the best training. And he will learn the insides out uh, of everything of Egypt and their systems. And all of this seems to be this unique way in which God is preparing him uh, to be used by him. And so for 40 years, this goes by until, but there's, there's a part of Moses that is conflicted because although he's been raised in this Egyptian system, he knows he's a Hebrew, he, he feels this tension. He sees one day a, an Egyptian who is uh, harassing a, a, a Hebrew and he kills him. And he tries to cover it up. And the word gets out that he's done this. And he knows that his own life is threatened, so he has to flee Egypt. And he goes out to the desert. And then for the next 40 years, he is going to live in the desert as a shepherd. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, we read this. That during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about him. 
All these years have gone by. They continue to be oppressed. They continue to have this, this terrible life. And they're crying out. They're praying. They're groaning. They're, and it says that God heard them. And here's the first thing I want you to see as you think about yourself and as we see happening in this part of the story is this, is that God hears us in our time of need, that God hears you in your time of need, that God heard their cries, he heard their prayers, and that God hears your cries and he hears your prayers. He is present That when we cry out that we need rescue, that we need deliverance, he hears these things. Now, I want to say something for a moment. I want to be very sensitive to this. As I was praying through this even this morning, I began to realize that for some of you, this is an easy thing to write down on a piece of paper. And it's a very hard thing to feel in your life right now. Because the circumstances of your life, it feels like God doesn't hear your cries. God doesn't care about your oppression. He is not responding. And that is very real pain and and it is very real to be able to see this. And and all I want you to see today is is that sometimes because of our circumstances, this is what it feels like reality is. And it feels like the reality is our circumstances. I just want to point out for a moment here as we think about these people in this part of the story. Here are these people. Slavery, oppression, families that had lost their children, unbearable grief. And in the midst of this, everything in their circumstances said that God had forgotten them. God was not listening to them. And yet what we see in the scriptures is this, is that God was listening. And he was working out a rescue plan. Now sometimes it doesn't work out in in our timing and it doesn't come away in that place. But it's very important that we see that God was listening. God was responding. And it may not feel like that's what's happening in your circumstances right now. But I hope that you can take some sense of faith, the littlest bit of faith, and know that God is hearing your prayer and that he's working out a rescue plan. Now it's fascinating what we see is in chapter 3, God's rescue plan involves another unlikely hero. A man who, who now is 80 years old, sucking up dust and, and, and sniffing uh, the, what it smells like to be around sheep all day, just listen to them alone out in the desert. Here is the unlikely hero that God is going to call on to partner with them. Exodus 3, verse 7, page 46 of the story, we see this, that the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from, their, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now here's one of those, probably one of the most famous moments of the Bible, right? The burning bush. And if you're Moses, you're thinking, man, I, I think, I think I, this is like a wrong bush number. I think you wanted the guy standing next to that bush over here because I'm not the guy for this job. 
And there's this reluctancy and God is calling out to him and he's giving Moses this vision. He's saying, just like he did with Abraham, we saw a couple of weeks ago where he takes Abraham up and he says to him, look into the sky, count the stars if you can. And he's casting this vision of this future for his people. It's not where their circumstances are, but he begins to cast this vision. And once again, he's saying to, to Moses, he's casting a vision for them. And he's saying, I've heard their cries and I know what it looks like, but let me tell you what I want to do. I want to take them from where they are. I'm going to take them to this land, this promised land that's flowing with milk and this, this place of blessing, abundant provision, abundant blessing. That's what I want to give them. And I need you to do it with me. He does this, he sets out this rescue plan and God does something very fascinating. In the passage we saw, six different ways God describes his action. He says, I have seen, I have heard, I have come down to rescue them. I have come to bring them out of the land. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I am sending you. Six different ways that God describes what he is doing. And then one way he describes what he needs Moses to do. He uses one verb to describe what Moses will do. Go. Go. And what we're seeing is this reoccurring theme that really the hero of the story is God. It's not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. The, the hero of the story is God. God is the rescue. God is the deliverer. But here's the thing I want you to see second. God often rescues us through his servants. Through his servants. And this is where we start to see that the story of Moses, it's not about the greatness of Moses. It's about the greatness of God and his power at work in ordinary people like us. Now, in his own unique way, he's been preparing Moses for this very thing. 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years in the desert. He, he has him right where he needs him. And what we see is that while God is going for every one thing we do, God is doing at least six different things. We see that Moses does have a role in the story. His invitation is show up. Be available. Go where I send you. Follow me into what I have next. Go. And God is the rescue of the story. But God, what we're seeing is he uses ordinary people like me and ordinary people like you to be a part of his rescue plan. Maybe you sense in some way the, the nudging God has been giving you. Uh, the way that he's been inviting you to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Some of you know Heidi and Taylor Limblom, and uh, Heidi was our missions director here for three years, just did a phenomenal job uh, uh, just raising our awareness and, and developing in us uh, such strong programs and partnerships for local and global mission uh, reach. On Wednesday, Heidi and Taylor will be moving to the Middle East. And many are wondering, why would you leave Southern California and move to the Middle East and the the easiest way that they would describe it is they have caught God's vision. They have heard his voice to go. They've caught a vision of a bigger plan of what God is doing in the world. And so they are going to a part of the world where the, out of 32 million people who live in this region, there is no indigenous church. And so for the next two years, they will learn Arabic and they will make themselves available to God. They will meet their neighbors 
They will meet the people that, that God has placed them around and they will listen to God's call to go. And however it is, just like we do, uh, as we talk about this little world that you have, this little social world, in the same way as we ask God each day, Lord, how do you want me to bless them? They will begin to ask in a whole new way, Lord, how do you want us to bless them? And so for the next two years, they will train and they will prepare until the moment that they believe that God has called them to join a team. And they're in a part of the world where there uh, is less than 2% uh, of the people are, are Christians and there is really no uh, 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 sustainable work that's being done there. Now, God is up to something and they know that. There's amazing stories that are coming out of the region. Incredible kind of miraculous things that God is doing. They know we don't have the ability, we don't have the capabilities to, to be the rescuers. But what they do know is God does. And so at the end of the service, we will gather together around them. We're going to pray a blessing on them uh, as they prepare to go. And, and we want you to join. And so it, it takes today's story and it makes it very real. That this isn't just hypothetical, that we don't just say, yeah, that's great. God calls the Moseses and people. No, he calls people right out of here. And he calls you. And he says, will you join me in what I'm doing to rescue this world? God uses us as his servants and we see uh, the response of Moses is like many of us, because you're thinking this, I don't know about this. Moses responds this way in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses gives the excuse, who am I that you would pick me? And I'm sure many of you have thought the same thing. When you feel the nudge of God, and he says, I would love for you to mentor middle school kids. And you're thinking, wait a second, who am I? I don't even know what a Pokemon is, like let alone catch one. Like I don't, I don't know how this world works. Or who am I to go pray with this person? Don't we have pastors for that? Didn't they train and learn the magic words that you say that make the kind of things move in the earth? Who am I that you would pick me? But we see that the answer that God gives in the next verse is all we need to hear God's not making this about you. God said this to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's not about Moses. It's not about his strength. It's not even about his experience, although God is going to use all those things. It is about the power and the resources that, that he has. And so he begins to show Moses. He begins to show him through these signs. And the, he throws his staff down and turns to a snake. And there's all these little, uh, little glimpses that he gets. And he sees all these things, and so he goes. Uh, he, he's convinced that this is what, what's going to happen. And you and I are, find ourselves in very similar places where we find ourselves saying, who am I? We, we feel like Moses. God, do you know my past? And Moses can say, look, I, do you know I killed someone? I don't have a great past. I don't think I'm really qualified to do what you're asking me to do. I'm not the right guy to go stand in front of Pharaoh. He, they've been wanting me for some time now. And some of you feel that. Do you know my past? How am I possibly going to be used by you for this? Some of you feel like Moses. Do you know my present? Have you looked around? I don't got much going for me right now. I got a bunch of sheep I stand around watching. It's not that hard. They just stand there and eat. I don't really, I don't really have the, the skills, the abilities to do this. And some of you feel like this. And, and we were reminded, as God says, it's not about you. For every 
one thing I ask of you, I'm doing at least six other things. Trust me, I will be with you. And so we see that Moses comes to this place where he is, he believes that God's going to do this. And he goes and he tells the elders and he he, uh, tells them everything that's going to happen. And they're excited and he's all ready to go. And here's the last thing I want you to see in this is that as we go and as God moves in his rescue plan, that we discover that God has the power and the resources to rescue us. He's all ready to go. He tells everyone they're excited that he's going to go. He goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And we start seeing that whole story unfold. And Pharaoh's response is, who's the Lord? Why am I supposed to listen to him? I'm not going to let your people go. In fact, I'm going to make it worse. And we see that the oppression gets even worse and worse. In fact, the people are upset with Moses that he even got involved in the whole thing. In Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we get a glimpse of where Moses was at. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you've sent me? Because ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. You ever insulted God to his face and told him, you said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. I mean, he's calling God out. He's calling God a liar. He's telling him, you don't have the power. You don't have the ability to do what you said you were going to do. And we see that sometimes God's rescue plan involves things getting worse before they get better. But now God's able to put his power on display Remember, so Pharaoh has said this, I don't know who your God is. That's not the God I turn to. I, we have our gods. And, and the story, as you know, of, the, of the, uh, Moses and Pharaoh is a story of the plagues that come in. Ten different plagues that come in. And as you look at the list of the plagues, we won't go into all of them. Uh, but as you look at them, it's, it's fascinating to see because first of all, you see that every single one of those things in one way or another is a response to an Egyptian God. And so he's not just being random. In some ways, this is, there was something that they worshiped. There was a God they trusted and God was saying, you don't know who I am? Let me show you who I am. I am the one true God. These things are not, have no power or authority over you. I'm the one true God. Every plague challenged an Egyptian god, a a god they believed had power. And it's fascinating because think about this. God could have raised up an army and the Egyptians could have fought against that army. But God raises up something very different. He raises up his creation and his creation fights for him. And in every one of these things, we see this unique way in which God does something that no other person could, could possibly do. And it's very clear in each one of these plagues that God is the one who is fighting this battle. God is the one who is bringing the resources and that it, it, is, it is all his power, it is all his resource at work. And they come and through the first nine, there's this resistance and, and there's a sense until it finally comes to this final one, this 10th plague, this Passover. And they're told that the firstborn son, it kind of echoes back to years before 80 years before when Moses was born as these these babies were taken and killed. 
And God has come and said this, the firstborn of every son will die, except if you come and you take and you uh, take a lamb and you uh, slaughter it and you place the blood over the doorframe of your house. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. We'll, we'll just kind of see how he outlines it. Moses tells the community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 5, he says this, The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And then he says this in verse 11, this is how you are to eat it. And this whole meal is, there's, there's all this symbolism of this meal, of their experience and what he's about to do. He says you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on the same night, I will pass through Egypt. I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. This, uh, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And in the moment of this meal, as these families prepare this, this sacrifice, and they prepare this meal, and they take the blood, and they, they, they spread it over the door frames of the house, we begin to see that how this lower story is connected to God's bigger story. That we need a lamb to come and to give his life on our behalf. In fact, we'll see in, in the weeks to come that uh, John the Baptist was at the waters of the Jordan River when Jesus was approaching. And as he saw Jesus approaching, he said these words. He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. And, and as we read the story, we begin to see this idea of the lamb who would come. In fact, as we come to the very end of the story, as we'll, we'll find, uh, the very end of the story, there's a moment, this, this incredible moment where, where God has the scroll and it, to open up as, as he's unfolding all that he's going to do in the final days. And no one is worthy to come and take the scroll. And then we, we uh, hear these words from Revelation 5. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and your blood and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Very end of the story, we see no one is worthy but the lamb. You were singing about that a few minutes ago. Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And God, through this Passover, he brings his people out. They, he has them ready. He knows what's going to happen. When this moment comes, they are going to shove you out. They want you gone. And that moment comes and they leave. And no sooner have they left that Pharaoh once again changes his mind. He begins to chase them. They get to this moment. It's kind of the, this, this moment, this defining moment of their existence. 
The Red Sea in front of them, no way to pass. A, a hostile army that wants nothing but their destruction behind them. You're caught in the middle. And scholars estimate there's somewhere between one to three million people at this point. And they're terrified. And they're thinking, why did you bring us out to this place to die? Why didn't you just leave us where we were to die? But something has shifted in Moses' heart. Now he believes. Now he trusts. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we we see this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And something has shifted in his heart from calling God out and calling him a liar to saying to the people, I know, it, I know everything in this moment says don't be still. You need to do one thing. Be still. Let God rescue us. And he raises a staff and the sea separates and they cross through. And the army is coming after him. Remember he raises and the, and the waters close back over. And the army is wiped out and they are on the other side. And this is, a, this is a big moment. This is a defining moment in their existence. And God has rescued him. He has shown his power. And with their newfound freedom, day one, they celebrate. Day two, they celebrate. Day three, we are awfully thirsty. Why did you bring us out here in the desert to die of thirst? After everything that they've seen. Exodus 15, verses 22 to 24 says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding any water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we to drink? And we start to see in this part of the story, the people grumble, they complain, and God provides. God's provision is there. Water, food, manna, bread from heaven, quail, meat, all along the way, provision, provision. Why? Because our rescue is not just in a moment and then we do everything else in our own strength. He's teaching his, his people to trust him day in, day out. And rather than grumbling and rather than complaining, we're learning to be still, to trust his provision and whatever they needed, God was able to give them. And we see something about following Christ. It's not something we do in a moment and then we do everything else in our own power. We trust and we walk with him each day of our life. Now, sometimes in our need of power and resources, we're praying, we're asking God for what we want, what we need. And we're not feeling like we're getting those things. What we want is God's stuff. And sometimes what God wants to say to us is, you don't need my stuff. What you need is me. You need my presence. In fact, later in the story, we'll meet a man named the Apostle Paul. And he gets to this point in his ministry where he's under some kind of serious distress. And in fact, it says that he, he says, I prayed three different times that God would take this thing away. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't rescue me the way I wanted him to rescue me. But 
Here's what he says happened. And this is a wonderful thing. It's printed in your bulletin. And some of you just, this is going to be a verse you're going to meditate on all week long. But he said to me this, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says this, he says, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He told him, all you need right now is the grace of my presence with you. This trouble isn't going anywhere, but I will be there in it with you. And some of us today just need to be reminded, maybe, maybe he's not taking this away, but what he is going to do is he, as my rescuer, as my deliverer, his promise not to leave me, not to forsake me, he is in it with me. And like Paul, we're learning to pray, well, then I'll boast even more about my weaknesses, because when I'm weak, then he's strong. God rescues his people again and again and again and again. He's invited us to be in a relationship with him. And this, this is a big moment for them, and it's a big moment for us. So where, I asked you earlier, let's close with this. Where do you need God to rescue you today? Where do you need rescue? Now, this moment in their history was a moment that they would look back at time and time again. In fact, the more you read through the scriptures and you see the story of God, they will, they will, the people of God will be on this, this, this moment, this point of faith to step, to leap, to trust God. And the thing that will give them strength to have faith is the faithfulness of God as their rescuer and deliverer. And they will, they will come to that conclusion by looking back and they will talk about, they will remember the way that he delivered us from Egypt, the way he parted the waters. And you'll see the psalmist and you'll see the others uh, in scripture talk about this moment. And maybe for you, as you are looking at and you're praying through and you're asking God about where you need rescue today, you need to stop and you need to look back to a moment in which God did rescue you. And you know he's good and you know he's faithful. And maybe what you need today is just the subtle reminder, I know he's with me. It doesn't feel like it from my circumstances and it's okay to admit that. But I know my history tells me he will rescue me. I know he's with me. And let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. Uh, talk to the Lord about where you need to be rescued. Bring these things up to him. And in just a moment, we'll sing and we'll pray together.